Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome presented by DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the UFC. Download the DraftKings app, use the code CHAIL, to get in on the action, I've got a jam-packed show for you all coming today. Coming up, Tyson Fury is a legend. Joanna Champion gets called out. And a fight that I was already excited about is off. Plus, we have a lot of breaking news to get to, so let's begin with that. Leon Edwards played us. Well done, Leon. I didn't know Leon had this in him. I am happy to see he has it. Leon Edwards is one of these guys, if he played the game just this much, this is a top guy, this is a star, this is a main eventer, this is a pay-per-view attraction, but he's got to play the game this much. I've never seen him play. He just did it. Well done. Leon wanted to fight George Masvidal. Leon is aware that George Masvidal is the second biggest draw in the business. How do I get on with him? A lot of people want to fight Masvidal. How do I know if Masvidal wants to fight me? Hit me with a three-piss in a soda. Still pissed off about that. We've got the footage. Story tells itself. Said he didn't want the fight. 
the way he went about it is saying he didn't want to uh, he didn't want the fight look there's a book out there called the art of the deal and you can go read the art of the deal or i can tell you in 15 seconds the general premise but largely in a negotiation you go for exactly what you don't want you say the opposite wherever your weaknesses are you act like that's your strength whatever your strength is you downplay it leon wants to fight masvidal of course he does masvidal is a number one contender he is the second biggest draw in the sport. I can't say that enough times. What an honor to George Masvidal. What an honor. Second biggest draw in the sport. Lost his last two fights. That's how much he's got you guys on board. Of course Leon wants that fight. He got it by telling us he wasn't going to do it. He got it by telling us he's not interested. He refuses it. All the reasons why. Masvidal lost his last one. I'm going to fight for the championship. All things that he didn't mean. He negotiated. He got headlines. He got everybody worked up. He got Gilbert Burns weighing in on this. Right? When you have a guy, Gilbert Burns, who everybody loves, who's got a huge social media following, who's a former number one contender, who's within the division speaking about your business, you've done something well. It's rare that that happens. Leon got this right. And now what happens if Leon goes and fights Masvidal? We got to break that down because that's a very strange fight. I mean, they have a common opponent in Nate Diaz. I realize that MMA math doesn't work, but I don't love it when you just say, well, math doesn't work. You got to start somewhere. If you have a common opponent, that's a very logical place to start. Masvidal had a fight with Nate Diaz. Leon had a fight with Nate Diaz. I'm going to have to go back and look. I can't remember who did better or in what areas. I remember Masvidal and Nate being on the ground a lot. But it started standing up. And while Leon and Nate was on the, the entire time, that's a great commonality. Let's go give that fight a look. Because while they both had success, I don't know that one had more success or in a more dominant area. George Masvidal plays a dangerous game, but Leon does too. George Boswell will be in front of you if you want to hit him in the face and if you've got really good power. It's what happened to him in his last fight, but it's what happened to Leon too. When you play that game of I touch you and you don't touch me and you play that for 25 minutes, you're getting touched at some point. How are you going to deal with it? You guys remember the end of the fight with Leon and Nate. That's what I'm referring to. Or the way the fight ended between Masvidal and Usman. It only takes one good shot. And Masvidal, as great as he is, he will give you a chance to beat him. He has a very risky style. The same can be said for Leon. Is Leon going to try to trade with Masvidal? Most guys are scared to death to. It's one of the reasons that was such a beautiful win for Kamaru Usman. It's a beautiful win because it happened on the feet where most of us thought Usman wouldn't even want to be. Not only did he stay there, he had success. Can we take anything from that? Well, I think so. I think we can take that Masvidal is going to fight a little bit safer the next time. A little bit more chin down, a little bit more hands up, a little more in and out, side to side, a little faster. He's going to respect defense, but that doesn't help Leon. That helps Masvidal. That's a good thing for Masvidal. I have to wonder. I think you can relate, but I have to wonder. How hungry is Masvidal right now? Masvidal's manager, Malky, came out with a statement. If it's accurate is a fantastic spot for Masvidal in terms of mindset, right? How hard do you want to work? And George Masvidal's worked his entire life, but now he's there. He's the man. He's the BMF champion. Which, by the way, Leon should make him put up, or at least try to. He's a, he's a champion. The highest paid guys out there. Is he still in the gym? Is he still as hungry now? He's got the tequila business going. Does that 
Does that matter? I don't know the answers to this. I know most guys, particularly later in their career, which is where George is, start to slow down. They lie to themselves. Oh, I'm training smarter, not harder. Right? Anybody says that and you bet on them, tear the ticket up because you're not going to the window. That, that is the statement of a guy who's about to fail. I'm training smarter, not harder. Go through history and look at the guys that have ever said that quote. It was over. I don't know any of these things about Masvidal. I'm asking the question, is he still hungry? Because what Malky said, and it gave me a lot of encouragement as a Masvidal fan. It gave me a lot of encouragement. Malky said, we will fight anybody if it puts us on track to return to the championship match. Because if that dirty, hungry kid from the streets named George Mosvall is still in there somewhere, this is going to be a very interesting contest. George has already been to where Leon's trying to get. And don't read the rankings. Rankings don't mean a goddamn thing. George Mosvall's in front of Leon. In front of him in recognition, he's in front of him in placement, he's in front of him in pay, he's in front of him in opportunity. But sometimes once you once you get that drink, you get that main event, you get that top of the billion at Madison Square Garden, you get a fight for the world championship twice in two different continents. Sometimes there's a lull, right? What do we know in life? It's basic biology. Whatever goes up must come down. Is Masvidal on a down? I don't have the answers to these questions. Not if you ask Malky. Malky said it's still there. He said we will fight anybody as long as it puts us on a trajectory back for a championship. This is the fight. Malky was telling the truth. Leon played this beautifully. I got I to gotta tip my hat to Leon. I didn't know he had that within him. Normally when a guy said it, I would have predicted this is what he's doing. I would have brought that to you guys. I just didn't know Leon had it in him. The three biggest draws in this sport, make no mistake, Conor McGregor, George Masvidal, Nate Diaz. Leon now in his last two fights, once he gets in there with Masvidal, in his last two fights will have fought two of the sport's top three biggest stars. This is an excellent start to 2021. This is an excellent move by Leon. Leon deserves this. I'm happy this is happening for him. But it wasn't all organic. There was some gamesmanship. Point, Leon. So another story that came out of the last few days is related to a fight that I was so excited for that unfortunately isn't happening anymore. Luke Rockholt, Sean Strickland, you know that's the one I've been waiting for. I love that fight from the jump. I think that has potential number one contender status on it. Listen, throw it all out. Fight's off. And first comment on that, get well Luke. Luke Rockholt is saying, and don't forget, Luke does not owe us anything when it comes to his, his personal health. But I am taking it as word, and I think that he was sincere. He said it was a herniated disc in his back. Now, I'm not a doctor. I love to play one in front of you guys. I'm going to pass this, of course, to Dr. Abbasi. But that could be a career ending. Those don't go away. I know a number of people have had that. Same, same thing, but a disc in your neck. It is a career ending. You don't just wake up one day and it's healed. There's at no point in the process you put a cast on it. You start. It's a tough one. So let's see what Dr. Bossy thinks. Get well, Luke. For sure is our message. If we're to move on. Who does Sean Strickland fight? And what I found very interesting right from the jump, and I pay very close attention to these things, is the mere fact that a main card feature bout 
has fallen apart, and I have not heard from one single middleweight trying to get that spot. I do believe that Sean will stay on that card. For any of you fight fans that are planning to look forward to Sean Strickland, or you got a ticket, you're going to show up in person, I think that you're still going to get to see your guy fight. We just don't know who as of right now. By the time I edit this and turn it around, which is going to take me about an hour to get to you guys, we may have an answer to that. But I do suspect that somebody will be asked, and I'll tell you who I want it to be. Now, I'm not going to get my way. Hazmat Chamayev. I'm not going to get my way, one, because Hosmet has a fight, and two, because apparently he's going to focus on 170 pounds. But remember the good old day? Remember the good old day called last year when the Chemayev experiment was still going on? And Chemayev's fighting guys back-to-back and in two different weight classes and on really short notice. Remember how fun that was? If we could go back to that, and nobody's officially said that that's gone, it just appears to me that Chemayev is going to focus, that Chemayev matters, that Chemayev is an up-and-comer, and he's going to do it at 170 pounds. And quite frankly, historically speaking at least, nobody can matter while floating weight classes. It's very hard to make a guy that's at this weight class and he's in with it, but now he's going to be a number one contender down here. It's, just, it's very rare. Very rare to the point that it has simply never happened. So for Chemayev to put the brakes on, say, here's where I do my best work, and I'm going to focus on this, he's right. But if we're just having fun, if we're just over here discussing who would we like to step in against Sean Strickland, this has to be a rough guy. I mean, look at the clues. Sean hasn't lost since I don't know. I forget if he's seven in, in a row. I forget if he's eight in a row. It is years since this guy's been beat. He's now a main event fighter. He's in the he's the talk of the town. He was scheduled to go against a world champion for what I'm claiming, if he wins, should be enough to fight for the belt whether he did get it or not. But to be in that conversation, that final conversation of who's it going to be, I believe a win over Luke Rockholt would have been enough. So it's a meaningful guy, and we've only got a couple of clues, starting with the fact that nobody wants to fight him. So if nobody publicly is stepping forward to fight him, when the UFC starts making phone calls, what are they going to do privately? I do suspect that Sean will have a fight, but I'm seeing an opportunity here. If you're an up-and-comer, if you got a good record on the regional scene, if you won on the Dana White Contender Series but didn't get a contract, if you fit any even roughly description that I just laid out, get a hold of the UFC now. Do not play the game of I'm doing everything right, ah shucks, and I'm just waiting for my phone to ring. You be the one to make the phone ring. Make that call. And if you don't know how, get a hold of me. And I am not kidding. I check my DMs. I will follow you on Instagram. I check them on Twitter. I will follow you, me personally. Leave a comment in the YouTube section. If you got the balls to fight Sean Strickland, because I'm going to make a prediction for you right now. The top guys aren't going to do it. This has opportunity written on it. The same way as when Chris stepped in, just by example, to fight Sugar Sean, because no one else wanted to do it, and that's the real reason... Chris got that opportunity, is no one else wanted to do it. I think you're going to see this with Strickland. That's a tough night out. But they're all tough nights out. This is a big opportunity. This is going to be a featured match. I'm encouraging you. This is what dreams are made of. Have you been staying ready? Are you in the gym like a professional should? Are you within striking distance of the weight class? Do you give a goddamn who your opponent is? If you do, any, don't get a hold of me. 
If you're looking for an opportunity, some, this smells like opportunity, guys. I think that somebody that isn't even within the organization right now, if I'm wrong, it's going to be somebody within the organization that you're not familiar with. It's going to be a guy that's 1-1 one one or 3-0, uh, and oh, but he's going to be an undercard guy. It's going to be a name you're not going to be familiar. I don't think the top guys are going to fight Sean. It drives me crazy. Easily my least favorite thing about this sport is how many fake tough guys we have. But, fine, if you're a real tough guy, if you're doing everything right and you just need a chance, I'm telling you the chance is now. Have your manager get on the phone. You get on the phone. If you don't know what else to do, come to me, and I'm not kidding. I will do it for you, but I need to hear from you right now. Guys, you're seeing Chuck Liddell's name in the news. I want to read a statement by Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell says, and I quote last night, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department deputies who responded were professional. While the information about the case will be revealed in due courses, I believe it's important to convey and clarify a few facts about the situation. I was the victim of the incident last night at our family home, as details of the case will reveal. The deputies inform me that my wife would be arrested as I did not respond to her assault while I sustained bruising and lacerations. I volunteered to go in her place. This was one of the many times I have tried to shield my family mental health issues from the public purview. I have become painfully aware that this cannot continue as our private life has now reached a public breaking point. Please respect our privacy as I help to navigate our family through this difficult time. Now, I'm touching on this for one reason, guys. Chuck got arrested or headlines were made for domestic abuse. I will stay as far away from that as I possibly can because there is no end game. I was not there, not to mention it's a wildly uncomfortable situation. So if you come out and you attempt to defend somebody, I'll end up looking like the fool and I did nothing wrong. I was sitting at home. But I would like to tell you, I'd like to tell you a few things that I know about Chuck Liddell, okay? He's a kind man. And I would put far as gentle. He's got to be the most gentle, badass world champion ever. He is. He goes into the same category as Daniel Cormier. Where you meet this dude that you assume is going to be this rough guy and you've seen him do some rough things on TV and you assume you can't joke around with him because you're going to... He's not like that. He's a very calm demeanor. He's extremely pleasant to be around. And I will tell you, can't think of Chuck Liddell without thinking about MMA. And Chuck Liddell was the most recognizable MMA fighter in the world for a period of time. And think about the way I said that, recognizable. Where if somebody saw him, they go, MMA, UFC, Chuck Liddell, light heavyweight champion. The mohawk, it ended up working, right? The handlebar mustache, it ended up working. People were dressing up as Chuck Liddell for Halloween. They came to my door before in Iceman shorts, and this kid had bobby pins, and he was in a he was in a mohawk. I can't remember anybody else they ever did that for. Chuck was huge, and there has been many guys over the course of MMA who could go as far as to say they were the champion. That were anything but. In all fairness, I could name them. I wouldn't do that. There was guys that were world champion that weren't the toughest guys in my hometown. They wouldn't have been the toughest guys in my state, in, in the nation, let alone in the world. But they were in the right place at the right time. And as you're trying to form a sport, you're forming a division, and nobody really knows. 
At some point, you got to put the belt out there and start some lineage. I don't bring that up to say something bad about those guys. I, I bring it up for the opposite reason, to tell you when Chuck Liddell was the world champion, Chuck Liddell was the best in the world. There was nobody that could beat him. And he had a shockingly effective style. What a lot of people don't know about Chuck, Chuck was a Division I wrestler. Chuck was in the Pac-10. He went to a school called Cal Poly, which is on what I believe to be the most beautiful campus in America, San Luis Obispo. Wonderful campus, wonderful program. Not huge into wrestling, but they were given an opportunity, and Chuck ended up on this team, and Chuck did very well. Chuck was not an All-American, but Chuck has beaten All-Americans. And that's very relevant because it wasn't his true love as the story's been told. Like, he doesn't have a tattoo on his arm that says wrestling, Cal Poly Division One. He has a, on his arm that says Kempo Karate. That's what he loved. So Chuck, on accident, was preparing his whole life for a sport called mixed martial arts. And the reason, as I say, on accident is it came along in 1993. Chuck had already started all of these things. Chuck was in college and getting done around 97, 98. I'm guessing I'm close. UFC wasn't even a thing. Bellator wasn't a thing. Pride wasn't a thing. Strike Force wasn't a thing. And what? don't correct me and think you have to tell me the UFC existed. I, I'm aware of that, but it wasn't a thing. It wasn't somewhere where you could go and make a living. It wasn't somewhere where you could go and get attention or turn into a career. So Chuck had come through college. The first time I ever saw him, I, I didn't meet him, but I saw him. He was a bartender in San Luis Obispo, working hard and fast, and was living his dream on the side. I knew who he was because I was a fight guy. And Chuck had either was getting ready to or had just gotten back from Brazil where he fought Pele Landy, Jose Pele Landy who was a huge name in MMA at that time and believed by the media to be a pound-for-pound pound great and was supposed to beat Chuck. Now, Chuck had some size on him, and what they didn't know was how good Chuck was with his hands. They didn't know how good he was at kickboxing. He's advertising karate. If you looked into his career, you'd know he was a Division One wrestler, but you'd have to look into it to find it. Chuck, very similar to Justin Gaethje in that regard. I have to tell people constantly that Gaethje was a Division I All-American because he has never used his wrestling in a fight, and Chuck was the same way. But Chuck did use his anti-wrestling in fights. I can remember just by example, when I tell you Chuck was the best, he was the best, but when he's coming up, you always have that game, you play, okay, he beat these three guys, but he hasn't beaten a great ground guy. Then he fights Jeremy Horn, stops Jeremy Horn. Okay, great. He's beating a great, great ground guy, but he hasn't fought a great wrestler. Then you insert the monster, Kevin Randleman. Or you go look at the trilogy with Randy Couture. I mean, right over a small period of time, you start to see Chuck is fantastic. He was one of these guys. He's never spoke about this, but I do wish somebody would ask him because I know that I'm right. Even though I've never heard Chuck say it, I know I'm right. He did not know that he was walking around with a skill set that was going to allow him to be a professional athlete. He didn't know. I imagine he got into Kempo very young. He had one of the best trainers around in John Hackleman. They met each other young. He had this wrestling skill. All of a sudden, the UFC starts to blow up. Going to work a couple of arm bar and 
guillotine defenses in there and go out and take over the world. And tough topic, right? We're talking about some tough stuff here. Chuck asked that we give privacy and let him work through this with the assurance that all the details will come out. That seems like a reasonable request to me. And this is a guy who I know to be gentle. I've seen him with his family. I've seen him with his son. I can tell you just what a great guy he is, what a very nice guy he is. I'm going to leave it at that. Tough to start defending somebody in this. It's got to play out. It's not my business. But if you're new to Chuck Liddell, I would like to tell you, this is a very, very nice guy. All he's asking for is some privacy in exchange. Says that we, the public, will get all the info at some point. That seems reasonable. And if you're old to Chuck Liddell, you've been around with him for a long time. Don't forget about the nostalgia. Don't forget about what this guy did. Don't forget about how much he helped out in the sport. Don't forget that, that, that he was an advocate at one point. Chuck was doing the sport when people were still trying to ban it and saying these terrible things, and he was an advocate that was out there fighting for the opportunities that you now have or that you at least enjoy watching other people have. Somebody set that table. And of the people there, one of them's named Chuck Liddell. I would like you to remember that. So in summary, Leon and George are finally fighting, Luke Rockholt is out, and Chuck Liddell is in some trouble. Now that the big news is out of the way, I want to revisit the weekend in combat sports, which featured two very entertaining main events that I want to talk about. That's next, but first, I want to tell you about today's sponsors. Week 5 of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for Week 6 with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week one game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code CHAIL to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code CHAIL this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. Modern life as we now know it has changed a bit in the last couple of years. We now have the flexibility of doing a lot of business and work obligations from home while still managing our day-to-day -day personal lives in between. With this shift, we've also had to change up our wardrobe a bit. Cuts founder, Steve Borelli hated having to compromise between style and comfort. He felt boxed into his wardrobe. So in 2016, he decided to do something about it and started 
with reinventing the humble plain tee. The result? A tee that GQ calls the only shirt worth wearing. Stylish enough for the boardroom or the street, comfortable enough for workouts in the gym or happy hour at the bar. Cuts became world famous for making shirts that look as great as they feel for whatever life throws your way. And now they're reinventing work leisure below the waist too. I'm really loving Cuts newly released always on joggers. I find myself wearing them around the house when I'm playing with my kids, but they're also stylish enough for me to wear around town when I gotta run errands and comfortable enough to wear to wrestling practice. These joggers look like tailored slacks, but feel like my worn-in sweatpants. They are seriously nice enough to wear to the office or to a business meeting. No joke, try them out for yourself. It's not just a lifestyle, it's not just clothing, it's work leisure apparel for the sport of business. Get 15% off your first order at cutsclothing.com slash chael. That's cutsclothing.com slash chael for 15% off your first order. Marina Rodriguez gets the jump on Mackenzie Dern. Now, Marina wasn't completely on my radar. I'm sure a few of you could relate. But she goes out there, she does a great job. I want to be real fair, but I don't want to take away from her victory. My plan here is to shine her wheels. If I was to be critical, it would probably go towards Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern didn't want to take this to the ground. I just did a show called Unfiltered with the great Jim Norton and the great Matt Sarah. And Matt Sarah made this point. And when Matt Sarah starts to talk about fighting, particularly ground fighting and jujitsu, you're a fool if you don't listen. Matt made a point to me. And he said, Chael, I don't care how Mackenzie gets it to the ground, including jumping and pulling guard. She could have gone for a sloppy takedown if it pulls her opponent down to the ground. She could have gone for a throw that doesn't work, give up position. She could have scrambled out and won the round. This was Matt's point. And Matt was attempting to say that the gap between Mackenzie's grappling and Rodriguez's grappling is so vast and apparent that anything to get to the ground would have been a better style for Mackenzie. I do not disagree. I will share with you that this is very common. And the this I'm speaking of is to bring somebody in that is a specialist one in one area, to have that person buy into and be inundated with the concept that you must be well-rounded. I also believe it. I also preach it. But Damian Maya came out and showed us all that if you are top-heavy in one area and you can force that area on your opponents, you're wise to do so. Nobody else that I've ever seen has taken the Damian Maya approach of standing strong, saying my art is the best art, I'm better at that one art than you are at martial arts. Damian Maya proved that, but what do you do? I have one Damian Maya. I have a whole bunch of other fighters who it didn't work out for. What do you do? When you have someone like Mackenzie Dern, and I came from a wrestling background, but some of the guys that I looked up to, Johnny Hendrix's, Tyron Woodley's, they came in, turned out they had great power in their right hand, and they did what's called falling in love with their right hand. Very common vernacular within the sport of golf. A golfer can fall in love with his swing. And then that's all that he can do. But sometimes it requires he's on the green. Sometimes he's on the field. Sometimes he's got a putt but he falls in love with a swing and you can't get him away from it. And Mackenzie Dern 
in many ways, and I'm being critical, but I'm being critical of someone who I'm a fan of and that I believe in. I'm a fan of and I believe in McKinsey, so I feel that I have the right to be a little bit tough right now, which is just to reminder to Matt Sarah's point. Matt Sarah's a world champion who's in the Hall of Fame, right? You gotta listen to Matt. He's also coached and trained world champions, including a sitting one named Al Jermaine Sterling. Matt Sarah's opinion and take on a fight matters. I want to make sure that McKinsey hears it. I know McKinsey watches this show. And Matt's take is real simply, don't forget what got you here, which is your grappling. And while you're improving your striking and while you're improving your kicking and while you're improving your wrestling, which I personally encourage you to do, don't forget what got you here. Don't forget what separates you from everybody else. It is an overwhelming attack from the ground. I will leave it at that. I want to move on to Maria. Maria went to the post-fight press conference and she called out Joanna. She didn't call her out to fight. She called her out. If you go look at the rankings right now, Joanna is ranked higher than Maria. Maria has a problem with that. Maria's problem is as follows. Joanna hasn't fought, but you're letting her have this spot. I want it. The other girls deserve it. Take her goddamn spot away. Fair point. Don't disagree. At the same time, Maria going to a post-fight press conference and talking about Ioana represents the first athlete I have ever seen talk about Ioana. There are some people in the sport that are off-limits for different reasons. Ioana is very off-limits because she's extremely intimidating. Ioana will beat your ass in the cage. She will humiliate you in the media before. Ioana's, no one's touched her. Go check that. I'm right. Maria called her out. She didn't say I want to fight her, but boy, those are fighting words. So I went and looked. I thought I thought that Maria and McKenzie were fighting at 125 pounds. I bring that to you because on further review, they're at 115 pounds. But now that we are discussing Joanna, if we're to bring Joanna Champion back into the mix, we have to start with one simple question, which is, Joanna, what weight class are you? Joanna's in a very unique spot. She trains at the ATT. I am friends with the coaches over there. I have many friends that are teammates over there. I ask about Joanna. She's in the monster family. I speak with Hans about Joanna. Everybody tells me the same thing, which is she is still working her ass off. She just isn't motivated enough to sign a contract and come back and look at the spot that she's in. She's been in there with the bullet, not once, but twice. If I'm wrong, it was three times. I think they kickboxed twice. I think. If I'm wrong, they kickboxed once, they fought once. So she's probably not going to get back in with the bullet, even if she's the greatest threat. You go look at 115 pounds. She's been in there with Rose twice. She's been in there with Wei Lee once. If, if Rose comes out over the top of Wei Lee, it's not likely you go to part three with Joanna. If Wei Lee comes out over Rose, are you going to go Rose, Wei Lee part three, or does it insert an opportunity for Joanna? Because again, to remind you, not only was Joanna and Wei Lee viewed as a fight of the year, the year ended, they officially won the award. Not only were they discussed as the greatest female fight of all time, when it all ended, they won the award. They are recognized as the greatest fight of all time. I must assume, I am assuming, but I must assume, reasonably so, that there's a good, strong appetite to get Joanna and Wei Li back in there together. But is Joanna still a 15-pounder? Something has to drive these greats. And as young as Joanna is, she still had a ton of experiences, including being the champion of the world. 
So it takes something. You guys might remember Robbie Lawler touching on this as he discussed his motivation for accepting the fight with Nick Diaz. I'm going to use my own words, but to paraphrase Robbie with my interpretation as well, I've been there and I've done that. I've done it all. I've been to the top of the bill. You want me to come on and be one of the guys on a main card and there's no championship or even implications? How in the hell is that supposed to impress me? Well, you bring in a star from yesteryear in a rematch in the form of Nick Diaz. So everybody needs something. I don't know what Ioana's response to this is going to be. But I do think that Ioana, likely pissed her off. Ioana can get pissed off fast. But she's also likely very happy that somebody is calling her out. How is she going to respond? And is she even a 25, or I apologize, is she even a 15 pounder anymore? A lot of questions here. But Maria Rodriguez has at least started a conversation and she has touched the untouchable. We gotta go back to Tyson Fury. We, we must go back because this man is doing something remarkable. Is that too big of a compliment? Remarkable is a strong word, but I do fall into that. Look, Tyson Fury has been very open to tell us, the viewer, that he understands the punches are not enough. Having a left hand and a right hand that you can either do a jab, cross, hook, or uppercut, and absolutely no other technique for up to 12 rounds is not enough. You must entertain the crowd. And whether he's doing that with uh, Sweet Home Carolina, or whether he's doing that with a, a wild outfit at the press conference, or whether he's got a quick clip, I don't really care. Do you? There's something to see. That's something that we can't say in boxing. Anthony Joshua, who I'm very critical of, and unfairly so, admittedly, wants to be the good guy so bad, he wants uh, that aw shucks and everybody to like him so badly that he's painfully boring in every aspect. He can't fight worth a damn. He was born a pretty good athlete. He's clearly lazy. His training videos, he never breaks a sweat. And he, do he doesn't understand. To make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. It's the fight game. But Anthony Joshua just wants to, he just wants everybody at church on Sunday to, uh, shucks, look at him in the pew. It doesn't work. So you bring in the anti-Joshua, who's an entertainer known as Tyson Fury. And Tyson's going to push it, and he's going to go to the limits, but he's open with the audience to tell us, I'm doing this for you. You tune in to watch me fight. I promise I'll show up. I promise I'll try hard. I promise I'll be in shape, and I'm going to give you a song or a dance afterwards. Look, that's more than anybody else is offering. In all fairness, it's more. Do you guys remember when Stipe, the night he beat Daniel Cormier the first time, took his belt back? And then he went into that dance where he looked like Shevchenko. I mean, that was a treat. We didn't know that was going to come. Remember that dance? Sports Center barely covered the fight. They put the dance on the on top of the hour. Entertaining is a big deal. To be good at your craft, paramount. Number one, to then offer something on top of that. Look, I didn't live through Muhammad Ali days. Matter of fact, the year I was born is the, the year that Muhammad Ali had his last fight. But I'm certainly aware of it. And one thing that my parents have told me about Muhammad Ali is that he saved boxing. According to my mom and dad, people weren't watching boxing anymore. You could not fill up an arena. You could not get on the news. You could not make it into the paper in boxing. And Muhammad Ali changed that. 
Not because he was good with the lefts and the rights, the jabs across the hooks and the uppercut, the only four moves you can even do. He was good with the entertainment outside, bringing people together, getting them to watch and getting them to care. When you want to talk about the best boxer of all time, it will always go to Muhammad Ali. It will go to Muhammad Ali out of respect. He does not have the best record. He does not have the most awards. Are you aware of that? You guys even know what Muhammad Ali's record is? You probably don't. I don't think that you would ever put Spinks in your top 10 list. He wouldn't, you wouldn't even put Spinks in the top 10. Are you aware that Spinks did better at the Olympics and beat Muhammad Ali? I don't think you guys know who Ken Norton is, and I'm not challenging you. I don't think you know who Ken Norton is. Are you aware that Ken Norton beat Muhammad Ali multiple times? But he wouldn't even make your top 10 list. What's my point? Well, name recognition. If you want to be in the top 10, which is nothing more than a discussion, it can never be proved. You must have name recognition. You must have done something aside from the punches inside of 12 rounds. You must do something outside of the squared circle to get your name out there, which Spinks did not do, which Ken Norton did not do. So you could go the route of a Mayweather that wants to be obnoxious as a way of being recognized. It had a level of success, plus he could box on top of that. I bring this to you because Tyson Fury right now is a top five boxer of all time. He's a top five heavyweight of all time, no matter who you ask. But how did he get there? It's not just about he can slip outside, he can go to the body, he can come upstairs, he can push hard for 12 rounds, he's a great big guy. I mean, that is relevant. His size matters. We've been told our entire life that it's a size advantage. Our entire lives we've been told, well, don't pick on this kid, he's bigger than you. But boxing's history shows us that's a lie. Mike Tyson in his prime, 220 pounds. Muhammad Ali in his prime, 198 pounds. Even if you carry that over to MMA, and I realize Francis is sitting there now, and I realize that Tyson Fury is sitting there for boxing. You take those two guys out, it's not a big man sport. That 240, that 238 is really the sweet spot for obvious reasons. One, you're fast enough. This is a game of I hit you and you don't hit me. And we can talk about it till we're blue in the face or we can just, I hit you and you don't hit me. That's what this game is. In addition, how am I going to do that? Well, I got to have something known as movement. Got to have something known as footwork to get my body around. Big guys don't have that naturally. Tyson Fury is an exception. He's a great big guy who cuts down to the weight limit, still doesn't look like he's physically fit. The greatest upset in Olympic history is a man named Rulon Gardner who upset the great Alexander Karelin to win the Olympic gold medal in the year 2000. Rulon doesn't look, he doesn't look any better or more appealing than Tyson Fury, but he was a cardio machine and so was Tyson. Sure, Tyson's using his physicality and he has a built-in advantage every time he steps in the ring, which is 30 pounds. I will tell you as a fighter, I didn't go undefeated just because I was better than everybody, but if I did have a 30-pound weight advantage over anyone ever, not only will I beat them, I would never lose a round. It's something I can't relate to. Tyson, because of the rules, gets to have these 30 pounds. But he doesn't get fatigued. He hangs in there. And Deontay Wilder was very sincere in his message to us, the viewer, that I can beat Tyson Fury. We know he was sincere because he was offered $8 million to step aside, to stay home. 
He was offered more than most of us will make in a lifetime, a great lifetime. He said, take your money and shove it up your ass. This is about competition. So we know he's sincere. And quite frankly, Deontay Wilder looked awesome. He is tougher than hell and he is full of heart. There is a point in fighting. In the short term right now, we admire that. That is courageous. That is macho. That is bravery. That is awesome. In the long term, taking those kind of ass whippings take miles off of you. They can take years off of a career, right? I don't want to be too extreme. They can take years off of your life. You have to be very cognizant. Your coaches and trainers must know when you can no longer win. The referee must be able to see it. That's a conversation for another day. For right now, Deontay, fantastic job. But to Tyson Fury, this guy's special. He doesn't have to sing, guys. He doesn't have to come to the press conference. He doesn't have to talk to you on social media. He doesn't have to be intelligent and witty. He does that for you. He feels as part of the transactional agreement of you giving up your time and of your money to watch him, he feels he owes you something more. You've got to appreciate that. I think most of you are Tyson Fury fans. Certainly you're believers by now. But there's something special happening here. And Tyson Fury appears to be a very nice guy who is not happy to take your $50 in an hour of your life. Grab all your money like Floyd Mayweather, throw a blanket down in the middle of the room, put, put the money in it, roll it up like a knapsack, throw it over his shoulder, and ride off into the sunset. He is here for you. And it's sincere. Those aren't just words. He's showing you. He's coming to the press conferences. He's sticking around in the ring. He's lining up his next fight trying to become unified. He's calling out the hardest work possible. I know you guys give Tyson his credit. I know that you like him. I want you to like him even more. I want you to see something unique here. And so many times when a guy is an entertainer, we'll turn on him. We turn on Conor McGregor. Oh, he went too far. We turn on Colby Covington. Oh, he went too far. The price of admission's the same. There are certain athletes that feel, I owe you more. Your time and your money is valuable. I owe you more. That's what's happening here. You're witnessing history. You're witnessing something special. I encourage you to be a supporter of the Gypsy King. That's a wrap on the weekend's fights. And to close out today's show, let's check in with the latest on a fighter who's even more famous than George Masvidal and Tyson Fury. Conor McGregor. It's time to talk about him again, guys. You want to know why? Because we've gone three weeks without Conor McGregor. Now, Conor had a very clear strategy, and I do not fault him for it. The strategy was his name was hot. He came out of the fight with Poirier, and even if people were pissed off about him, if, even if people were angry about him, they were talking about him. Connor, a master of marketing, always has something to pitch. And that could be a whiskey. That could be X, Y, and Z. It could be a return fight. It could just be feed my ego and give me some attention. I'm bored and at home and I want you to talk about me on social media. But Connor always seems to get that done. Now, where I tell you that I don't begrudge him, but I also can't compliment him. I just need a little time to go by, right? Everything hindsight's 2020. But for the last three weeks, Connor has been very quiet. And guess what that created? It created a vacuum, and it created a need and a want for Connor. 
People are now asking about Connor. Nobody was asking anything about Connor, but you didn't have time to ask. You didn't need to ask because he was out there and he was telling you. He was putting the stories out there. He was calling guys out. He was putting people down. He's doing this whatever whatever that nerdy award show that he thought he should be at. He was doing these things. There was never any time. There was no necessity. There was no need. But there's not even time to start to form the questions that we want to ask about Connor. Connor shuts his mouth, takes his oars out of the water for three weeks. And all of a sudden, we start to miss Connor, don't we? Start to want to know what Connor's going to do. Want to start to know when Connor's going to do it. Want to start to ask about the rehab. All of a sudden, the guy that everybody hated that was publicly enemy number one is now the most missed guy in the sport. Took his oars out of the water. It's the opposite of what he's instinctly inclined to do. He wants to be in your face. He wants to be loud. He wants to be brash. He went against his own instincts, and it's working. I think that Connor's probably going to be surprised about that. I think Connor's going to be surprised that people are talking about him when he didn't give us the narrative. But it does make me wonder, how big is his re- his comeback fight going to be? Is it going to be the biggest fight of all time? I saw some numbers on Connor McGregor. I used to know these off the top of my head. But Connor, in the top 10 biggest gates ever and biggest pay-per-views of ever, he has nine of those spots. He has one, two, three, and four to himself. I believe five went somewhere else, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Right? I'm, I'm real close on this. He for sure has the first four, and he for sure has nine of the top ten. Is his comeback fight going to be the biggest fight of all time? It's a very real question. And I don't know that it totally matters who he's standing opposite. Comeback fights, traditionally and historically, are massive. Right? You got a main event fight, that's a big deal. You got a title fight, that's a big deal. You get a grudge match, that's the bigger of the deals. But then you have the comeback fight. And you only get one. You have to leave so that you can come back. And you only get to do it once. And even if this wasn't by choice, this is the comeback fight. Is it going to be the biggest of all time? And before you get there, do I even need to tell you what's on the line? Do I need to tell you what the stakes are? Do I need to make up some belt and throw out there? Do I need to tell you this is the the one to get to the one, to, to get back to the belt? Do I need to do any of that crap? Do I even need to tell you who the opponent is? In many ways, and this will change, over the course of a year, 14, 15 months before Connor returns, this answer will change. But as it sits today, the worst person he could fight is Dustin Poirier. There is no reasonable belief Right When he was feeling great and working hard, he couldn't go the distance with Dustin Poirier. So now that Dustin's training and Connor's sitting at home, that's the worst guy he could fight. To sell, to draw, to create any kind of illusion in anybody's mind of how the outcome's going to go. I think that opens a door for a lot of guys. And nobody's been calling out Connor. Now, to give you the timeline and just remind you, everybody used to call out Connor, right? It was red panty night. That was a real thing. Everybody was thirsty. They all got brushed away. And they finally realized over a period of time, I look like a fool. If I call out Connor to try to get myself some attention, if he just dismisses me or even worse, ignores me completely, I look like a fool. So people start to do their their homework and they don't call him out. And now that's the, the world that we're in. When nothing has changed. 
he is still the biggest draw in the sport. That's still going to change your life, and you would like to get in there and compete with him, but guys are now, they're so scared because of what Connor's going to do to him. And I mean verbally speaking. If you are in that weight class and you think it's a foregone conclusion that Conor McGregor is going to come back and fight Dustin Poirier, you are a damn fool. And if you're not sitting back and observing that Conor does not have an anti-Conor right now, you're a damn fool. There has never been a better opportunity. There has never been anything that makes more sense. There has never been a more wide open field to become the dance partner of Conor McGregor until right now. And if you think that is too far away, i got to wait 12 months. Come on. 12, that goes quick. Real quick. Connor's already three, four, five months into this rehab, which Connor at one point said was going to be eight months. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. We don't know when he's going to come back. We know that it's going to be. I predict for you it could be the biggest fight of all time. It really could. That opponent is not set. And as much as you think it's going to be Dustin, if what you're saying, if you say you think it's going to be Dustin, is you're saying that Oliveira is going to beat Poirier. Because there is no scenario where Conor walks into a world title fight. And even Dustin is, is the sitting champion and gets over on Oliveira and takes the belt away and begs and pleads on both knees. They're not putting Conor into a title fight. There's a level of ridiculousness that you've got to operate within. I'm bringing that to you to make a larger point, which is only one. If you've ever been one of the guys who's caught out Connor, if you've ever been one of the guys that wants to call out Connor, this is the time. Right now. I think a bigger fight, in my own opinion, is Tony Ferguson versus Connor. That would need a little bit of help. They would need to relive a story. I'm just throwing one name at you. I feel like I could bring 10 more names to you. I think that fight makes a little bit more sense. I don't hate the idea of seeing Tony Ferg get a little bit of a break. I think that certain things start to line up. I think that Connor versus Dustin, with the ass whippings that Dustin put down, I think it's a harder sell than many of you do. I don't think calling a guy's wife some name while on the canvas is enough. For a fight that's 14 months ago? Either way, that's tomorrow's problem. Let's start to create some options. Let's start to create some ideas. Let's start to create some conversation. You were all so quick to call Connor out before you missed your mark. I get it. You look, you look silly. But this is the time. Same idea. Timing matters. The time for Connor right now. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Remember, if you want more of me, I got a YouTube channel where I post even more of my thoughts on the biggest topics in MMA. If you're interested, just subscribe to me over there and on TikTok as well. As for the podcast, I will be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.